0: Arena by Scribcrib Publishing, is based off the work by Alex Veralt to The Land of Arena. For more information, you can visit our website, Scribcrib.com. The flickering glow of Earl Nuntz's cybernetic wrist implant cast eerie shadows on the tunnel walls as he led Abel and Karaki deeper into the underground labyrinth. Their footsteps echoed off the damp, metallic surface, mingling with the hurried movements of several Syndicate members following close behind. Clad in hardened armor and brandishing an arsenal of weapons, the group moved with swift determination towards the corridors. Stay sharp, Earlt growled, his voice a low rumble that reverberated through the narrow passageway. He could feel the anticipation building within him, a familiar itch beneath his skin that urged him to strike. But first, they needed to reach their destination. Earlt's right, Karaki chimed in, her ice-blue cybernetic eyes scanning the darkness ahead. We don't know what Poe might have waiting for us." Obel nodded, his warm brown eyes betraying a hint of concern that his younger siblings weren't as forthcoming about. As the oldest and most experienced, he knew the importance of caution in these unforgiving tunnels. Upon reaching the entrance to the corridor, the trio found Raydock standing there, hands ringing nervously at her side. Her green eyes darted from one sibling to the other, taking in their formidable appearance. Radox, Karaki exclaimed, relief washing over her face. She quickly crossed the distance between them and enveloped her best friend in a tight embrace. Thank you for coming. As Karaki pulled back, Radok's gaze fell upon the pistols holstered at her friend's hips. She swallowed hard, realizing the gravity of the situation. Of course, she whispered, trying to quell the tremor in her voice. I couldn't let you face this alone. Your loyalty means everything to us, Obel said sincerely clapping a gentle hand on Radok's shoulder. He knew how much his sister relied on her friend, and how the bond they shared was not lost on him. Earl stood stoically, studying Radok's face with an intensity that only served to heighten her anxiety. We'll need every able body if we're to have any chance against Poe, he said, his voice measured and steady. His green eyes bore into hers, searching for any sign of weakness or hesitation. Radok straightened her posture, steeling herself under Earl's scrutiny. She understood the weight of their mission, the necessity for unwavering loyalty in the face of danger. I'm ready, she declared, her voice steadier than before. Together, we'll see this through. Then let's move out, Oral commanded, turning on his heel and striding purposefully down the corridor. The others fell in line behind him, their expressions resolute and determined. In the depths of these tunnels, they would face the unknown together, bound by loyalty and driven by their desire to survive." The harsh glow of Earl's scythe cut through the darkness as he ignited it, the powerful weapon humming with energy. The corridor stretched out before them, its cold, damp walls dripping with condensation and echoing with the distant footsteps of other Syndicate members. Karaki's cybernetic eyes flickered, adjusting to the darkness as she peered ahead, scanning for potential threats. Four Poe ground transports heading our way, she announced, her voice barely above a whisper. Her ice-blue eyes glowed eerily in the dim light, illuminating her determined expression. Earl's lips twisted into a sinister grin as he gripped the handle of his scythe tightly, feeling the familiar weight of the weapon in his hand. "'Let them come,' he growled, a predatory gleam in his eyes. "'I've been itching for a good fight.' Abel sighed, shaking his head at his brother's eagerness for battle. He knew that Earl's skills were formidable, but recklessness could lead to disaster. "'Calm down, brother,' he advised, his tone firm yet cautious. Taking on all of Poe in this tunnel might get us killed. We need to be careful, not careless. Reaching behind him, Abel unclipped his rifle from his back and tethered it to a datapad on his wrist. With a few swift movements, he activated the scope and confirmed what Karaki had already seen with her enhanced vision. Four ground transports moved steadily toward their position. It was a sobering sight, a reminder of the overwhelming force they faced. His heart pounding in his chest, Abel tried to steady his nerves as he considered their next move. He knew that they couldn't afford any mistakes if they were going to survive this encounter suddenly an idea struck him as he glanced at the surrounding terrain karaki can you find a vantage point for your sniping we'll need your skills to thin their numbers he suggested his brown eyes filled with determination already on it she replied obel surveyed the tunnel as his breath echoed off the damp walls the air thick with tension he knew they had little time to prepare for the incoming threat Everyone listen up, he barked, his voice commanding the attention of his fellow syndicate members. We need to set up barricades and fortifications along this tunnel. Use whatever materials you can find, but do it quickly. The group sprang into action, scavenging debris from nearby wreckage and forming makeshift barriers. Abel watched them work, his mind racing with strategies and contingencies. He couldn't shake the feeling that every second counted, and he was acutely aware of the lives that hung in the balance. Karaki, he called out, his gaze finding her perched high above them. Keep an eye on their movements. Let us know if anything changes. She gave him a brief nod, her ice blue eyes locked onto the approaching transports. Nearby, Radok stood beside Karaki, absorbing the information relayed by her cybernetic eyes. Her green eyes flickered with anxiety as she listened to Karaki's account of the twenty six life forms on board the Poe transports. The weight of their predicament seemed to press down on her, her breaths coming faster and shallower. Twenty six, Radok whispered, trying to suppress her mounting fear. How are we going to survive this? Focus, Radok, Karaki urged, her tone firm yet reassuring. We have each other. We have our skills. We have faced tough odds before. As the Syndicate members continued to fortify their position, Karaki's eyes suddenly widened. Wait, she said, her voice barely more than a breath. They're only 25 now. One of them. one of them was just killed. Radok's heart skipped a beat at Karaki's words, her mind struggling to comprehend the implications. She glanced at Abel, hoping for guidance or reassurance, but his expression was a mask of stone, giving nothing away as he continued to direct their defenses. Keep us updated, Abel told Karaki, trying to maintain an air of control despite the growing uncertainty in his chest. He knew that every life lost on either side carried consequences, and this sudden shift in their enemy's numbers only added to the complexity of their situation. Karaki's breath became more labored as her adrenaline started to spike. Only 19 left. Karaki whispered, her ice-blue cybernetic eyes fixed on the rapidly approaching post-soldiers. Uralt and Obel turned to face her in unison, their expressions a mirror of concern as they registered the sudden shift in their enemy's numbers. "'Are you sure?' Uralt asked, his brow furrowed with worry as he gripped the handle of his scythe tighter. Beside him, Radok's breath hitched in her throat, her green eyes darting between Karaki and the distant echo of approaching footsteps. "'Positive,' Karaki replied, her voice steady despite the weight of her words." Something's happening out there, but I can't tell what. Neither can I, admitted Radok, her secret past making her all too familiar with the dangers that lurked beyond their makeshift barricades. She knew that every turn of events could bring either salvation or destruction, and it was impossible to predict which one would come first. Her loyalty to her friends compelled her to stand firm, even as fear gnawed at her insides. Whatever it is, we need to act now, Obel declared, his warm brown eyes meeting those of each Syndicate member in turn. We may never have another opportunity like this. He hesitated for a moment, then raised his voice so that everyone could hear him. Charge! Take down the remaining post soldiers! As one, the Syndicate members surged forward, their bodies touted with energy and adrenaline as they raced toward the unknown. The air crackled with energy and determination, carrying them forward like a relentless tide. Even as they charged, Abel couldn't help but wonder if this would be their final battle, or if they would live to see the consequences of their actions ripple across their dystopian world. Uralt moved with lethal grace, the cybernetic implants in his wrist and ankles, enhancing his already formidable prowess. He knew that every swing of his scythe could mean the difference between life and death for his siblings, and he was willing to do whatever it took to protect them. In the back of his mind, a question lingered. What price will they have to pay for their defiance? Radok followed close behind Karaki, her heart pounding in time with her footsteps as she clung to the hope of survival. She knew that their fight against Poe was about more than just their own lives. It was about the lives of everyone who decided to live against the tyranny of Poe and the prison they referred to as Eden. As they charged into the fray, each Syndicate member moved with a singular purpose, guided by their loyalty to one another and the desperate hope for a better world. They had faced insurmountable odds before, but this time the stakes were higher than ever. This battle would test not only their physical strength but also their resolve, as they grappled with the harsh realities of their dystopian existence. As they pressed forward, the sound of gunfire from several carbine rifles echoed off the walls. They were close to the target, but it appeared that the battle had already begun. Eighteen remaining, Karaki called out, her voice icy yet focused. Stay alert, Orolt barked, gripping the handle of his scythe tightly, his cyber-enhanced limbs thrummed with energy eager to be unleashed upon their oppressors. As they rounded a bend in the tunnel, the jagged silhouette of the halted Poe transport loomed before them like a gaping maw of some monstrous beast. The sound of gunfire had ceased, replaced by an eerie silence that settled over the battlefield like a shroud. Karaki's breath caught in her throat as her glowing eyes scanned the scene. Fourteen, no, thirteen left, she whispered, her voice strained. Uralt surveyed the carnage with grim determination. Blood painted the rocky ground in macabre patterns. Several limbs and shattered armor strewn haphazardly among the fallen. Yet amidst the gruesome tableau, a single figure still clung to life, his ragged breaths echoing through the cavernous space. Over here, Karaki murmured, following the faint heat signature to its source. Captain Aaron Wodek lay crumpled on the cold stone floor, his once imposing form now broken and battered. His left leg and right arm were gone, amputated cleanly at their joints, while his right eye stared sightlessly from its empty socket. Cruel scars marred his torso, a testament to the brutal struggle he had endured. His discarded armor lay nearby, a twisted and shattered husk. Is he alive? Earl asked his voice betraying a hint of concern. Only just, Karaki replied softly, her eyes never leaving the dying man. But not for long. Uralt knelt beside Captain Wodek, his scythe-casting eerie shadows across the soldier's mangled form. The man's labored breaths grew weaker by the moment, the life slowly ebbing from his body. Who did this to you? Uralt demanded, his voice low and dangerous. Tell me, and I promise your death will be swift. Captain Wodek's remaining eye flickered up to meet Uralt's gaze, defiance burning in its depths even as his strength waned. He opened his mouth to speak, but only a choked gurgle emerged, blood bubbling at the corner of his lips. As the last echoes of Captain Wodek's gurgled defiance dissipated into darkness, Radok and Karaki moved past Earl and Noble, leaving them to question the dying man. The remaining post soldiers were fleeing back to Reebok City, and that was not what their eyes had settled on. Their focus was drawn to a figure standing in the distance the flickering light from their equipment casting an eerie glow on his long-brimmed hat and flowing jacket. The bloodied sword in his hand dripped crimson onto the rocky ground, his presence a silent sentinel amidst the carnage. Who is he? Karaki whispered, her cybernetic eyes narrowing as she studied the stranger. The question hung in the air between them, heavy with curiosity and the weight of unease that clung to the aftermath of the battle. An ally, Radok replied, her voice soft but firm. They both watched as he disappeared into the shadows, moving with purpose after the post soldiers who were fleeing for their lives. Victor moved through headquarters briskly, following Justin down one of the many hallways toward the interrogation room. The scent of bleach, gun cleaner, and antipsychotic drugs filled the air as they walked with intention to the interrogation room. It had been 30 minutes since Remy Derigaz escaped and Zack had been captured, and Victor wanted answers. He had to know why the Outlander didn't murder Zack where he stood. He had to know why Zack was spared. In the time that Remy Derigaz had been in Soda City, hundreds had been killed, and answers were needed to help stop the Outlander from slaughtering the entire city. Several Poe soldiers, all clad in their full garb, stood at the door where Zack was being detained. With Victor not in his full equipment, the other soldiers were able to see his cybernetic enhancements. They were able to see how Victor was able to gain an advantage in his fights against Remy Derigaz. What the hell are you doing here, you overcharged freak? asked one of the soldiers as he glared over Victor's body. Victor remained calm as Justin stepped forward. This overcharged freak just went toe-to-toe with the guy who's been slaughtering all of our comrades. Show some respect. The soldier scoffed and glanced down at his equipment. This is all we need, Justin. We don't have to have whatever is in him. We're just fine. Victor chuckled and shook his head in disbelief. Just fine got several of our allies sliced in half, he said in jest as he tried to move past the soldiers and over to the door of the interrogation room. However, before he could enter... Captain Louis Preo emerged in the hallway, carrying two glasses of water and moving with purpose toward the door. I want ten minutes with him, announced the captain as he moved past the soldiers in the hallway. When I come out, I want every piece of information you can turn up on this guy. I want to know who his parents were. I want to know where his first job was. I want to know what he ate prior to his run-in with that Rammy freak. Victor, Justin, and the other soldiers all nodded simultaneously, affirming to commands. Zack sat in the room, coming to after being hit with a stun bullet and looking up at the bright lights, with his arms restrained to a stainless steel table. It was standard Poe procedure to use stun bullets to subdue, but this was his first time to experience it. The side effects were as advertised. He was struggling to gain his focus, and the bright lights of the room weren't aiding him. His clothes were replaced with an orange jumpsuit, and his weapons were removed. The door creaked open and Captain Preo stepped through, the hallway behind him swallowed in darkness. He marched forward, two glasses of water sloshing together in each hand, until he stood before Zack, who sat bound in a chair. Good morning, Preo said curtly as he slammed the glasses onto the table. Zack was startled by the sound of the thud from the glass and the slosh of the water, but he was aware of the Poe interrogation procedures. There were too many men and women he associated with who told him the stories of their time in Poe headquarters. Let's get to why you were there, began Preo, not wasting any time with Zack. Zack stared silently at him for a moment before grabbing the glass with trembling hands. He took a slow sip, then put it down and asked, "'There's nothing in this, right?' His eyes met Preo's for a second before his gaze shifted away again. Preo chuckled as he picked up his own glass and took a long draw. He held it up and grinned mockingly. "Want tray glasses?' Zack felt his body tensing with tension as he hesitated for a moment before taking another sip from his glass. After setting it back on the table, he spoke slowly. "'Sorry, Captain.' There have just been stories from others in the streets of how they were given water laced with some compound that made them not think straight. I didn't mean to accuse," he said before tailing off. Preo scoffed and shook his head slightly. Now's not the time for that, friend. I need a lot of information from you and I don't want to have to coerce it. I don't know what to tell you, Zack began. Something hit me in the back of the head and knocked me out, and when I woke up, everyone was dead. Preo rolled his eyes inside. That's how it all starts, with a denial. Why don't we begin with the easiest question, no? Why were you there?" Preo asked, his face suddenly stern. He didn't believe that, but he also didn't have a reason not to. Remy Derigaz had slaughtered hundreds so far, so his story could have been plausible. However, Preo's natural inclination was to believe that the kids from the streets were lying. Zack let out a long sigh before rolling his eyes. I'm sure you've looked through my file, Captain. I'm sure you know that I've always lived away from the law. Zack paused while Preyor remained silent, looking across the table at him while waiting for an actual answer. I was there to discuss some things with a man who sells drugs and other illegal objects to the people of Soda City. He works with the Syndicate, if not for them. I don't know for sure. One thing led to another and I was knocked unconscious. When I came to, everyone around me was dead and a man that I call Jim was still alive in the building where you found me. I ran in to see what happened when I made it to the third floor, I found his body lying across a table and his attacker standing in front of him. We stared at each other for a good minute when your people showed up and I got shot. Preo nodded as he looked at Zack. Did you ever feel threatened? No. Not once? Asked Preo sharply. Not ever, answered Zack contritely. Preo listened intently as Zack appeared stoic. Unlike before, he felt this time he was telling the truth. Zack's eyes were weathered. Preo knew that Zack had seen a great deal of conflict and torment in his short life. He had yet to go through his file. He was waiting for Victor and the others on the outside to tell him everything. However, as he sat there and stared at Zack's face, he began to recognize him from a few days prior. Preo smirked as he tilted his head down. "'We've seen some of your moves in the past, like the other day when you evaded us. That dive you made into the domicile's window, that was pretty good. You're very talented.' Zack smirked and reached for his water again. "'Thanks, I think.' "'Why didn't you join Poe?' asked Preo. Zack glanced over at the two-way mirror on the other side of the room. He knew he was being watched, and he knew he was being judged by all of the soldiers outside. They all had questions, but so did he. Zack was alive when others fell to the Outlander's blade. I guess it just wasn't for me, he answered after a few short moments. Preyo let out a forced laugh and leaned back in his chair. So you chose the streets instead of a life with direction. Zack held his gaze, not letting it waver and shrugged. Who says I need direction, Captain? The captain lowered his chair legs to the floor and faked a smirk. He didn't reply as he stood up abruptly and made his way to the door. Don't move, he commanded without looking back, as he stepped out to find Victor and Justin waiting for him. The other soldiers had scattered, all preparing for what was to come. Talk to me, he said as he noticed the two waiting on him, standing away from the other soldiers. I saw the logs where he ran intel on him from the air transport. What do we know about this guy? Victor raised his eyebrows and sighed loudly. Not a whole lot, Captain. Justin kept his eyes trained on the door while Victor spoke up. He bit his bottom lip and sighed heavily. From what we could tell, he was one of the kids who came from the surface. He joined the academy and left after a short stint, opted for the streets. After that, it's kind of a mystery. Looks like he made a name for himself, though, in certain circles. Victor turned away from Preo and glanced through the two-way mirror into the room where Zack was sitting peacefully. I wouldn't consider him much of a threat, Captain. He's just like everyone else in Eden. He's just trying to survive. Captain Preo huffed loudly. Yeah, but he's doing it while working against Poe. We can't stand for that. Justin folded his arms across his chest and shrugged. Is this the time for protocol, Captain? He inquired curiously. Preo shifted his eyes and tilted his head in confusion. What do you mean? Justin smirked as Victor appeared equally confused and concerned. That Rami guy didn't kill him. There has to be a reason for it. Maybe he knows something that we can use against him. Maybe he'd be willing to help us fight him. Maybe, I don't know, I'm reaching for things. Preo closed his eyes and composed himself. You want us to deputize this civilian in exchange for forgiving his previous dealings? Victor scoffed loudly while Justin nodded emphatically. Sir, I don't think now's the time to increase the prison population, especially when you've seen some of the things he can do. Maybe we can use this guy. Justin, you can't be serious, shouted Victor. We are Poe. We can handle this. Victor paused for a brief second as he composed his thoughts. I know I said this guy isn't a threat and he's just trying to survive, but that doesn't mean we should invite him onto the team. The body count is getting too high, Victor. Too many citizens are dying for us to not look at every option. Justin paused and glanced over at Captain Preo, who was clearly mulling it over. Captain, you said it yourself. He's got some moves. Victor shook his head in disbelief. And so, we should give him some weapons and armor and send him at this guy? No, we can't do that, inserted Preo. We can't simply give him what we use, because we don't know if we can trust him. Preo stood still and raised his eyebrows. But, citizens keep dropping quicker than we can identify the bodies, he continued as he pointed to the room. This Remy Derigaz guy is clearly a force to be reckoned with, and we need all the help we can get now. It might be worth it to see if this guy wants to join us in our cause. Victor turned quickly to look at Preo. Sir, this guy is a civilian and a criminal. Preo took a moment while Justin and Victor watched, hoping to hear his answer. We don't arm him, but we use him. Maybe he can give us something. Victor rolled his eyes with Justin nodding in approval. Should we go see if anyone else in the prisons can aid us? Asked Victor sarcastically. Justin glanced over at Victor to try and reason with him. Look, it's just this one guy, Vic. Maybe he can help. Or maybe he can sell us out to the Syndicate the first chance he gets, countered Victor harshly. This is a bad idea, Captain. Preo blinked slowly and turned toward the door. It's the only one we have, Victor, he said before turning the knob and walking in. Zack was still in his chair with the glass of water in front of him, still appearing dazed from the stun bullet and the bright lights of Poe headquarters. Zack, you have two options, announced Preo as he entered the room. There are no trials going on right now, due to our current situation. So you can either go to jail and sit there until the situation is over, and you can stand trial for the crimes you may, or may not, have committed. Or, you can also choose to join us and help us stop this guy. He clearly didn't want to kill you, and I think we can use this to our advantage. Zack's eyes narrowed as he asked, What advantage is that? I'm not a soldier. You fight, Preo answered sternly. And that's all we need from you now. Zack sneered and reluctantly conceded. Fine. It Looks like I'm out of options anyway. Victor stood outside the room, overwhelmed by the events that had taken place. He could feel his chip glitch out and he shook his head before beginning to walk away. He was noticeably upset by what had just transpired. His feelings on deputizing citizens was well known. Poe was a well-trained, elite force. Civilians were not. Suddenly, Christie was standing at the end of the hallway, watching Victor with a concerned look on her face. She had a data pad in her hand, along with the other belongings and her white lab coat. As Victor approached, she turned and walked through the hallway, stride for stride with him. What's wrong with you? She asked as they started walking together. Is your chip malfunctioning again? No, well, yes, Victor admitted. This guy is destroying the city and no one can catch him, and now the captain wants to recruit civilians and criminals to help us take this guy down. Christie pursed her lips as she thought about it. Why does that matter? She asked. If we can capture him, then it won't be an issue. But despite her words, both of them knew that things were not as simple as they seemed. We're Poe. We don't need anyone's help, Victor retorted harshly. Christie scoffed loudly at Victor's proud outburst. Clearly you do, she continued. This guy is deadly and anyone who can stop him is an asset, not a liability. Besides, Poe is sweeping the city right now for him. Every transport, ground and air are out with their sensors going to try and find him. Victor nodded reluctantly as they continued walking down the hallway. Christie's words made sense, but he couldn't shake off the feeling that something was off about the whole situation. We just have to suppress him. We have to corner him and force him to submit. Christie smirked and continued alongside Victor. Last time he was cornered, he slaughtered a small squadron of post soldiers. I don't think that's the answer, Vic. Victor stopped and turned toward Christie abruptly. Then what is it? he asked in a very perturbed tone. Christie stared into Victor's eyes with a stone-faced, angry expression. Her fiery autumn hair matched her demeanor as she kept her gaze firmly affixed to Victor. This is not some street thug, Victor. This is not some man or woman who will bend to the will of Poe. This is a person who will not bend and will not break from sheer force. Christy glanced over her shoulder to see several soldiers mobilizing down the hallway. I think the answer is to evacuate the city. Get the citizens to one of the other hubs in Eden and then deal with this threat once there is no chance at civilian casualties. Victor noticed the commotion and shifted his attention away from Christy and over to the soldiers. Hey, what's going on? He shouted loudly to one of the soldiers down the hallway, a new recruit fresh from the academy. The young man turned toward Victor, displaying his new armor that barely fit. He hadn't had enough time to go to the Quartermaster and be custom fitted, so he had to wear what was available. Um, the Outlander has been sighted, announced the young man softly. Victor's eyes widened with excitement. Though he felt his body was not fully operational, he knew there was a chance to finally defeat Rami Derigaz and end the plight on Soda City. Where is he? shouted Victor. Christie stood at his side, apprehensive to hearing that more soldiers were soon to be chasing after the Outlander, something that had already proven to be detrimental. The young recruit glanced down at his small datapad on his new suit. Um, RN-36 and, and headed north, he replied, a bit more confidently as he was simply relaying information. Victor turned and looked at Christy as the soldiers in the headquarters were starting to scramble around the building. Does your vehicle still work? He asked as Christy, who was looking confused, glanced down at her data pad. Yeah, why? She inquired. Because you're driving. Hey, thanks for listening to Erina. For more information on Erina and any other of our audio dramas and products, please visit us at ScribCrib.com, or you can check us out on Facebook, Reddit, or Twitter.